We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. Okay, ready? what you know and it's about a time when you get yourself in we I want to know something she says. I'll think about everyone you need. I'll hold in it. Things are moving real now. I'll have seen you wanting you. Hey. The tour ratio. Okay, though. The tour ratio. Okay, though. That might be the best question I've ever been asked. <laughs> The guitar functions really as another voice, another human voice, even though it's an object. When it's expressed like that, that's just incredibly powerful to me. That's what, what's attracted me to instrumental guitarists, whether they're super famous or whether they're not so much. I love individualism. And so that's the thing that unites a pop staples to an Eddie Van Halen, even though they're totally different. And people are blown away by Eddie Van Halen's technique is incredible, right? But the main thing is Pop Staples is playing his guitar his way. B.B. King is playing his guitar his way. That's the thing about it. So hearing hearing all these different voices and thinking, you know, what do I, what do I have to say? What are things that attract me to the instrument? What do I have to say with it? Vernon Reed is one of the greatest living rock and roll guitarists, period. He was the lead guitarist for Living Color, one of the great rock bands of its time. And he's just a genius. I've been privileged to know him for 15 or 20 years. And when you get a chance to sit and talk with him and experience his brilliance on music or culture or politics or whatever, it's like, wow, I am talking to a truly deep thinker. So it is an honor to spend this time with my man, my brother, my friend, Vernon Reed, talking about music, talking about rock, jazz, everything, living color. Let's get into it. It's Vernon Reed on Touré Show. What do you love about the guitar? Oh, man, what do I love about it? Well, the guitar is so funny. I was actually tweeting about that. The guitar, it's weird, man. It's got a long, long history. So anything to say about the guitar is nothing new to say about it. I will say that when the guitar entered my life, um, it was 
very strange because I expressed a love of music to a cousin of mine. And I actually at first wanted to play woodwinds, but I'd heard Carlos Santana and heard uh, his version of Peter Green's Black Magic Woman. And that so intrigued me that um, the guitar had become an option. I really recognized that as an actual voice. And this cousin of mine, who I met really one time, he said, man, I got this guitar. I don't play it anymore. You can have it. It was just in my room. And it was just, it was just this thing. So you love music. It was kind of like, well, you love music so much. You could have my guitar. I don't play it anymore. I'm not interested in it. So I got this Dixie Hummingbird. Um, How old? I was 15. I was 15, which is late, which is late yeah. to start an instrument. I was 15 years old. And I, and it was so hard. You know, I was bugging my pops like a day to get it. And eventually he pulled up the Dodge Coronet and opened up the trunk. And there it was, you know, and um, it's actually a, a very fine guitar, but it had been kind of abused. The, the, my cousin really, he had gotten it. And it wasn't his thing. So I stopped for about six months. And then when I turned 16, the guitar was just in my room. And then when I, I was, it was, I was staring at it and I just was like, you know what? Um, I have a tendency sometimes to, to, to have a hobby and give up on it. And I was thinking about how much I love music. And I, from the age of 16 on, I've been playing, you know, I've been playing. So I got it at 15. I played for a while. It was really hard. Then. Um, I picked it up again. I picked it up again really when I and right right before I entered high school. The high school was really where I, I I became started to become a musician. So what do you love about it? Oh, what do I love about it? Well, what I love about it is uh as much as there are millions of guitarists, um I found a way into it. What I love about guitar, let me just say, what I love about guitar is the way individuals, there's so many different voices, there's so many individual sounds, there's so many individual approaches, even there's so many traditions, there are many different traditions of guitar. And inside all of that multiplicity of traditions, there are so many outstanding individuals, but it's not just the virtuosi, the virtuosos that I appreciate. I appreciate like Pop Staples, like Pop Staples playing his Telecaster. He makes a sound that's his sound. Just the way, you know what I mean? And it's funny, you can relate it to the way Curtis Mayfield plays, but they play very differently to me. They, they have a very different sound. But you know, that that sound, just the, just the vibe of Telecaster, like Johnny Graham from Earth, Wind and Fire, he played a Telecaster. So there's that. The Stratocast is a whole other scenario. And then that's like associated with Hendrix, with Stevie Ray Vaughan, with Ernie Isley, and so on and so forth. You know, so there are all these uh genres, subgenres, micro-genres, traditions, micro traditions. And I, I think it's a it's a fabulously individual instrument within the fact that it, you know, it has defined just a super wide array a range, range of uh of music i mean going from you know from joseph spence from the bahamas you know what i mean and and uh out on the rolling sea where jesus speaks to me to james blood omer you know mm -hmm. to, to i mean to george benson to kenny burrell to like i mean you could name guitarists all day long you know what i mean it seems and, to be the central instrument at least in like American, in most American music, not in not in hip hop, of course, but like definitely in rock and roll. It's all over hip hop, though. 
guitars, it, it, all, it, guitars all over hip hop. Even if you think of it, not as even if you think about sampled guitar. There's sampled guitar all over hip hop. Yes, but 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 the, the 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 drum is sort of the central instrument in hip hop. The guitar is the central instrument in rock and roll, and it's the and it's a major. I mean, like the bass is big in funk and soul, but the guitar is huge there as well. Just why is the guitar? It doesn't have to be that way. It could be the drum, right? It could be a horn. Why well, is the guitar is really, central? The thing about it is, it's it's the guitar, but it's not the guitar by itself. It's guitar. It's it's guitar in in within ensembles. So within ensembles. The drum is important and the bass is important. So, so you the focal point may be guitar because of the tradition of blues troubadours. You know, people who sang and played with the instrument. So that's where you, that's where our, our attention tends to focus on that. It focuses on the singer and the accompaniment, and just the same way that the piano was central to jazz. The piano is 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 considered central to jazz. But if you stop and think about it. Like all the instruments in the ensemble have a weight to them, you know. Like, like Jimi Hendrix was how he played with Mitch Mitchell, you know, as opposed to how he played um, with 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 Buddy. It's like, I mean, those are pivotal things. So, so yeah, there's a focus on guitar, right? But it's in conjunction with everything else. It's in conjunction with the voice, you know. And that's the thing about guitar. Guitar is uh, because it's part of a folk tradition before you get to the electrified instrument. You know, it's central to those kind of singing and songs and things of that nature. And then it branch and then it kind of branches off from there. It does have the guitar has a way, unlike the other instruments we talked about, the, the piano, the drums, the bass, the guitar does have a way of mimicking the human voice mm. right and sort of producing a voice like uh output so i guess when you talk about you know as well as rhythm but when you talk about like complimenting the singer mm -hmm. it, it can seem like two singers you know especially like in a, in a big solo it can mm -hmm. seem like singing almost it can it very much so it, it very much so and the accompaniment I mean, you think about J J J B, right? So when you James think Brown. about James Brown, you think about the drum beats. But if you go back, those guitar parts are pivotal. Those guitar and bass parts are pivotal to the sound. I mean, he would always. If you think about the Motown records, the Motown records, I think a lot of them have three different guitar parts. So three different. They're rhythm parts, but they're three different guitar parts. A lot of J B's things or songs, singles have at least two guitar parts that are interlocking. You know what I mean, and that sync that um, synchronization is very much in tune with the African tradition as well of polyrhythm, the way the different things work rhythmically. You know, so there's the thing about the guitar functioning as a company to vocal, and the way there's a consonance with that, but there's also the function of the guitar rhythmically, and then again as an individual solo voice. So that's the thing about one aspect of the guitar before you even get into sounds and what's happened with technology and things like that but the idea that it how it functions quarterly how it functions rhythmically and how it functions melodically we live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door 
thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. I, I want to hear a little bit more about your approach to guitar because you are widely considered one of the great guitarists of today mm-hmm. and you don't have to be humble. I said it and Guitar World said it and Rolling Stone said it and like, it's out there. Um, and I just want to hear some of your philosophies around playing the guitar that have thus led to people saying like, damn, Vernon does his goddamn thing with that motherfucking thing. Well, part of the part of the the thing about it is it's like my journey with the instrument took me through through I mean it took me through R&B, it took me through funk, it took me through reggae and calypso, it took me through jazz, it took me through rock and roll, it took me through psychedelics. It took me through a particular form of jazz, free jazz, very much influenced by Ornette Coleman. Um the idea of the guitar as a means of expression, as a, a means of nonverbal 
expression. The idea of it ha- being a voice in and of itself is very central to to how I view the instrument. And even as they're different styles and they're different, um, you know, they're methodologies, if you will. Well, inside of those methodologies, there's room to 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 take those traditions and kind of warp them, if you will, or bend them to who you are. You know, that's what I love about like a cat like Lightning Hopkins. You know, he's a traditional Texas blues man, but he just was himself. And John Lee Hooker was 100 percent himself in out inside the genre. Like people, they try to break it down to the, you know, the. 12 bar, one, four, five kind of structure of blues, but so many of the blues people defy that. And that's what I, I'm, I'm attracted to that when, when the guitar functions really as this, uh, another voice, another human voice, even though it's an object, when it's expressed like that, that's just incredibly powerful to me. And, uh, for me, that's like, I, that's that's what what's attracted me to instrumental guitarists, whether they're super famous or whether they're not so much. Whether I love individualism, and so that's the thing that unites a pop staples to an Eddie Van Halen, even though they're totally different. And people are blown away by Eddie Van Halen's technique is incredible, right? But the main thing is, pop staples is playing his guitar his way. BB King is playing his guitar his way. That's the thing about it. And for me, uh, I never wanted to um, imitate other guitarists. I mean, the influence, I've been influenced by many, many players. In fact, one of um, the, my main influences, uh, who's really well known in the, in the community, was Ronnie Drayton. And, you know, we lost Ronnie Drayton last year. And uh, he played, most notably played with Nona Hendrix. Uh, he played with David Sylvian. He played with Edwin Birdsong. He played on this record called Supernatural uh, back in the 70s. And this record, he played with the Chambers Brothers when he was like 17 years old. And when I heard this record, Supernatural, especially thinking of it something in the post-Hendrix era, after Hendrix's death, and even with Ernie Isley bringing that sound really to the forefront with the, the Isley Brothers hit, Who's That Lady?, you know, Ronnie Drayton was like, it was just mind-blowing on this. And, and this is a record that was produced by Eddie Kramer, who worked, who was an engineer for Jimi Hendrix. So hearing hearing all these different voices and thinking, you know, what do I, what do I have to say? What are things that attract me to the instrument? And that's the thing. What do, what does, you know, I hate to mention myself in the third person, so I won't. Um, what do I have to say with it? And that's been my journey the whole time. I'm still on the journey. You know, I don't, I don't really talk, I don't really come from the, you know, I'm an expert or I'm a master. No. You know, I'm, a stu- I'm, I'm still learning how to play guitar. But the thing that's so funny is, is that there are two different aspects of guitar. There's proficiency, you know, being able to execute different styles of music or one style of music or whatever. And then there's expression, like what the individual guitarist, the way they approach voicings, the way they approach rhythm, the way they approach soloing and improvising. And that's, and that's the thing for me is what I dig for myself is when I can approach the guitar and play it in the flow of the music. 
to be in the flow of the music if you remove your ego and your desires from it. So to be in the flow is the thing is animating. The music is animating me. The situation is animating me. The connection for di- between the different players, the connection to the melody and the rhythm is animating me. Much more so than, man, I really want to play, I want to do fill in the blank. I want to play cool. I want to, you know, whatever. My desire is the barrier to achieving this flow. The flow is something where you give yourself as, as much as, as an individual, as much as I can with my abilities to be in the flow and the push and pull of music. That's what's exciting to me. To be there without judgments, without desire, without, but just the music itself. In that way, the music can play the musician as opposed to the, the musician playing the music. The, mu- the music can play the musician if you allow yourself to get in the flow. Absolutely. And, rather than try to stand out. I mean, the guitar seems very egotistical, right? There's all these guys who are like, I'm at the lip of the stage doing big solos and look at me with my guitar. And you're like, no, the ultimate is to be one with the band and support the groove. Right. Yeah, well, you know, this this is the thing. Like, think of a Coltrane. Like, John Coltrane is fascinating. He's he's an eternally fascinating musician. And the thing about John Coltrane, like people's reactions to, you know, he played with this extraordinary technique and and he was, I mean, he just took the saxophone to the stratosphere. But he's not playing that way for his ego's sake. I don't I don't hear ego in what John Coltrane is doing. John Coltrane is a supremely curious person. And he's really exploring the outer reaches of what's possible, but he's not doing it for the big ups. You know, he wasn't doing it. So this is a conundrum where a lot of folks, I mean, this is the same with many incredible musicians, Jimi Hendrix as well, and Charlie Parker. You know, people want to get, it's something to get. They want to get what that is. They want to, they want to be impressive playing giant steps. They want to play all this stuff. But that's not what, that's not Coltrane. Coltrane is, he was exploring, when he was doing Moments Notice and, and Giant Steps, he was exploring these different kinds of chordal movements and what he could do on top of it. Then he left that behind. He was going into a whole other zone. And, and for him, it was connected to his sense of spirituality. He wanted to connect to something transcendent. And he gave himself to it. And people that got, caught up in it that that actually i mean they found their lives transformed it was a, it was a, an aspect of transformation but he was you know he truly believed this and that's the difference between you know someone that can you know can play you know you can play like that cat and not feel any of those things because it's a it's a technique that they went and got it's another acquired skill acquired thing which that's not what Coltrane was about at all. And in fact, I think about, I think about Robbie, uh, uh, Robbie Coltrane and the fact that he's the son of the great. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, 
Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamin, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. List, you know, considered one, one of the greatest of all time. I mean, and I love Robbie Coltrane's playing because he's on his own journey. I mean, no one in their right mind, like your dad, was John Coltrane. Like, why would you? Why would you even try? Wait why would you even try? But the thing is, he he's doing it because he can't avoid. Like, this is something that's calling to him. He couldn't avoid it if he wanted to. And that's the beauty of, of what he's been doing with his work. I love his work. What up, y'all? It's Torre, author of I Would Die For You, Why Prince Became an Icon. Check out Who Was Prince, an epic eight-episode podcast about Prince, where we talk to his girlfriends, his musicians, his engineers, his managers, all sorts of people who were close to him to find out who he really was. Follow Who Was Prince wherever fine podcasts are streamed. So let's apply some of that philosophy and framework to what I think, what a lot of people think is your greatest moment, uh, a cult of personality. And it's just an incendiary record. I will never forget that riff. I can hear it in my short-term memory at any second of the day or night. It's like mm. one of those, I got a, you know, I got a lot of things that I could, that I could hear that crystal clear at any time. Um, and a lot of people have that burned into their brain. Talk about what you were trying to do on that mm -hmm. record, how you wrote it, recording it. Is that like one recording or is it like, yeah, that's what, that's actually one session. I mean, the funny thing, okay, so, so at that time, Living Color is a local band. We played at CBGB's, the, the downtown rock club. And we had kind of gotten into the like regular rotation to play there. You know, Hilly really liked the band and particularly at the point in which Corey Glover had joined the band, I changed the band up from, from the early days where it was a, just a trio. And it was like our laboratory. We, we had a loft in Williamsburg, really in Bushwick, we had a loft in Bushwick, right on 1102 Broadway. 
and it was like a straight shot down Broadway, get over, get over the Weensburg Bridge, you know, uh, make a right, you know, on the Bowery and go straight over to CBGB's. That's how we did our thing. So we would go do our thing, load up the van, take his stuff right back over the Williamsburg Bridge, up Broadway. And, and we were right at the level of the L tracks. You know what I mean? Like the train was right there. We were on the second floor. So all of that to say, if we were coming up with something new, if we had a new idea, we could check it out, rehearse it, go right to CBGB's and play it for people. And we would get the, re- we would get, they feeling it, they not feeling it, blah, 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 all of this stuff. Um, like one of our songs from back in the day, Love Rears is Ugly Head. Love Rears is Ugly Head was actually like a mid-tempo song. And, and there was something about it that wasn't working. I, it was like, you know what? We need to slow this down like a Sly Stone joint. And that's what we, that's what we did. So cult of personality is kind of, I got, you know, I grew up with TV of, I was a like a child, child, child in the 60s. And so all of these things, you know, this is like after the whole, the whole nuclear war thing, the thing about communism, all of that was still very current leading into the Vietnam War, the assassination of Kennedy and the assassination of Malcolm X, the assassination of, of Martin Luther King. I mean, part of the reason was that there was very few media outlets and there were very few distractions, you know, aside right, from, right, right, aside right. from, you know, your Saturday morning cartoons. I mean, it was real at all times. Right. And that was the thing about people, like if a person had a voice, they, people paid attention. When the news came on, when Walter Cronkite came on, everybody was focused on that. When Ed's, when, if a band came on the Ed Sullivan show, everyone in the nation was watching. I mean, when the Beatles de- debuted on the Ed Sullivan show, there was like over, like the next day, they were superstars, right? So all that to say, I was, I was thinking about all of these how Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, we're also thinking about Stalin and Mussolini. What is, the, what is the thing that they have in common? They're very different. What is the thing that they have in common? And I would say it's charisma. Okay. You know, it's, it's a kind of, of charisma that, uh, why do people, why are people hanging on their every word? Well, on one, one part of it is that their message is powerful. But on another level, they also have this appeal. They have this other thing that's that exists parallel to them to their whatever their message is. And when um, Khrushchev denounced Stalin after you know Stalin had destroyed Russia, killed tens of millions of people, you know. Um, Khrushchev said, Nikita Khrushchev said, you know, that Joseph Stalin had erected a cult of personality around himself. And that phrase was very, was very powerful. And that's what I said, you know, that's what, what it is. That's, that's the thing that unites, that is levels the playing field between a Mahatma Gandhi and a Stalin is this other thing. And that's kind of, I wrote this poem. Basically, I wrote the lyrics as a kind of poem. Look in my eyes, what do you see? The cult of personality. So I had these uh, lyrics, kind of a prose, a kind of a poem in my notebook. And then I went to rehearsal 
And then uh, we're there and Corey's like, yo man, I got this thing. And he was trying to sing me this lick for a riff. And then I, I, while he's singing it to me, I play something totally different. I play da 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 da, you know, just trying to, and and that became, from the point of which, I played that first lick. It's like the song assembled itself in this rehearsal. Literally, I said, "Yo, we'll put a beat to this." Uh, Muzz Skillings was a bass player at the time. We started we we started to do it, and it just, I don't know, man. It just kind of had a vibe, and we. We basically followed the logic of that vibe. And there were so many elements that came into what made the song happen. But the, the, the most impactful thing about it is that that song was written in one rehearsal. Like the whole thing was the, the rehearsal was that day. That rehearsal was the writing of Cult of Personality. And you know we had the music, and and then I was like, oh man, da 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 da. It was just working it out. And so we had it, and then and then we like had this thing, and it was groovy. And I was like, well, what are we gonna do? And I picked up my notebook, and I pulled out the notebook, and I said, Corey, check this out, right? And then and that's look in my eyes, what do you see? And then it it was like the song assembled itself using the musicians of living color to assemble itself is the clearest way I could describe it. It's like the rhythm. Sometimes the rhythm of a thing takes on its own, is its own thing, you know, and, uh, and, and we, the very next uh, gig, we played it. We played it at CBGB's and people instantly dug it. When you tell me about recording it, yeah, well, it, it feels like a very live, like, I don't yeah. mean like, 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 it feels like an energized moment. Yeah, man. Well, I, I give a, a lot of credit to our producer, Ed Stasium, you know, because Ed was coming, Ed was coming to the shows and, and, uh, you know, we're going through the whole thing with Mick Jagger when I we had gotten signed. So he was coming to the shows and checking out, you know, because we had a lot of other songs that we did at that time that didn't wind up on the on the record and he was i remember when we were we we're gonna we definitely were recording cult of personality and one of the things he said because the song we used to i used to start we used to start the song with um an introduction we actually the the uh the chords that are in the bridge you know neon lines nobel prize that whole thing we did an instrumental kind of we did a, like an intro and then we played the riff and um, and Ed was like, man, forget the intro, play the riff right away, you know, go go get to the riff. Cause we do this, we did this whole thing. And at the end of the intro, we we actually played Martin Luther King. We played right. free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty with free at last, and then we played the riff. So it it so so Ed was like, Man, um, the intro is cool, let's lose the intro, but let's keep the sample, right? So we couldn't clear the sample with the King Foundation. The King Foundation wanted $10,000 that we didn't have. It was like over our budget. So I was bummed, you know, that we couldn't do it. And then I was in Harlem and I saw this tape. You know, the, you know, the brothers on 125th Street had all the Malcolm speeches and whatnot. And I, had, I bought this cassette, you know, uh, uh, Speech to the Grassroots. You know, Speech to the Grassroots. And, and the first thing that Malcolm says is, in a few moments that we have less, let's talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. And I was like, wow. 
and we did and we and we threw it in we we threw it in and it turned out that my um uh my first wife was very close friends with Malak Shabazz one of Malcolm's daughters and she used to come you know and she used to actually come out you know and see us so she had heard it and she was like oh man I'll tell Betty it's cool you know it's cool so it's like all of these different little things kind of conspired to to make it happen and and really it's so much better with the Malcolm X quote and one of the proudest yeah. Things I have about that is that rock radio, every time that song is played, America had to hear the voice of Malcolm X. For more from me and Vernon, the party continues for another half an hour. Join us over at patreon.com slash Torrey show when you subscribe at patreon you get the full 60 minute versions of our wednesday shows highly worth it you get our friday patreon exclusives highly worth it and you help support our team to keep this thing going thank you so much to vernon for a great interview thanks to you for listening and thanks to our super producers brit Marcus Harkis, Noel Sam Montes, Jason Reynolds, Gerville Calais, Michelle Brenda Cox, Kathy F., Dr. Kina Murphy, Earl Dorsey, Theotokis, and Noma. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Torre Show. And check out my newsletter, Black Minds Matter. Go to blackmindsmatter.substack.com. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door Thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy. And we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy. And I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer. Because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.